Good morning, City Light. Glad to be with you. If you don't know me, my name's Glenn. I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, I want you to open with me in prayer. Father, we are here acknowledging your presence with us by your Spirit. We are so grateful to know you. So grateful that your presence brings calm to our storms. Your presence brings comfort to our affliction. You bring rest to our weariness. You restore us. I think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have all that I need. I lack nothing. It makes me lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside still waters. Restores my soul. Thank you today, Jesus, that your mercy and your grace are as fresh and amazing and powerful and world-changing as was your death and resurrection 2,000 years ago. Your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that you desire fellowship and friendship with us. Thank you that you are quick to forgive us today. Holy Spirit, thank you for your power, your strength, your might that indwells us. God, thank you for your word. We're asking now as we read and study the words of our Lord, King Jesus, you would humble us. You would make us people eager not only to hear, but to do. Change us from the inside out. This is our plea This is our plea, God. Change us from the inside out. We need heart change. Oh, we need heart change today. Let it be for your name's sake and for our blessing and good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you brought your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We're in the gospel of Luke. This is an account of the life and the ministry and the teachings of Jesus. And as we get to this point in Luke, already just six chapters in, many have gathered to hear the words of this amazing teacher, Jesus. People are in awe of him. He is showing up to different places and he is curing people of demonic influence uh, and unclean spirits. He's showing up to places and power is going out from him to heal people of disease. Everything that he says is captivating the the audiences and the crowds, and so he has people's attention. And and during the course of Luke's sixth chapter, Jesus has been delivering to us what is called the Sermon on the Plain. You may have heard the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. This is the Sermon on the Plain. Scholars debate, is this the same thing, just recorded by a different guy? Is it a different sermon? Um, It could be either or. But we're at this point where Jesus is going to bring us to a conclusion. And so far in this sermon, as he's standing on this flat and there's a multitude of people that are listening to him, he's taught us about perseverance in the wake of persecution for our faith. He's taught us about loving our enemies, uh, about turning the other cheek. He's taught us about judging others 
and judging ourselves. And with every teaching before this sermon and during this sermon and after this sermon, all the teachings that make up Jesus' life and and ministry, it's as if he's painting a picture for us of the way that a human being lives who has been born all over again and reconciled to God. He's painting a picture for us of a way of life that a person who calls themselves God's child would live. And this morning, as he concludes his sermon, our Lord, he has a clear concern. He doesn't end with a blessing or benediction. He doesn't end his sermon with a typical parting word. He ends with a bit of a warning, and his concern is clear. And so I want you to pick it up with me, Luke chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 43, and Jesus is going to use a small parable that I think will make sense to us pretty easily. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The heart overflows into the life, does it not? Where God wants to meet us and change us and transform us and renew us is not just through us modifying some of our behavior. He wants to give us new wants, new desires, new appetites, a new vision for our life. And so a short parable is being used here to get us thinking about the lived-out results of our faith in Jesus, about the practice of our faith, about what's happening inwardly, that manifests itself outwardly. Jesus is concerned about fruit-bearing. He's concerned about lives that are not just this, but are this, right? He's concerned about followers of his being people who show who they really are by what they do and they say. He wants us to have fruit-bearing lives. And so it begs the question, what does this good fruit look like? What is good fruit that a good tree bears? I want to read to you what author Philip Ryken lists. And it was very helpful for me. And I'm going to um, kind of spoil this. He basically takes Galatians 5 all the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he puts them into normal everyday life. So he says, a fruit-bearing life is loving others more than myself, making sacrifices so that someone else can benefit. A fruit-bearing life is suffering well, with fear, surrendered to God, and a heart that worships Him, even while it's grieving. A fruit-bearing life means having patience in times of adversity. 
not pushing to make things go my way, but waiting to see what God will do. Bearing good fruit is showing kindness and goodness in the little gestures and acts that we do toward others that can just make their life easier. Bearing good fruit is godliness, saying I am as good in private as I seem to be in public. A fruitful life is characterized by faithfulness. This is going to hit somebody. I work as hard now as I did at the beginning rather than slacking off. I guess I'm the only one. Um, bearing, <laughs> bearing good fruit is marked by gentleness, giving a soft reply to a harsh criticism rather than jumping to defend myself or flying off the handle or propping off, popping off excuse me, with reckless words. And finally, it is to have self-control. It's to know how to resist the mounting pressures of temptation that are all around us in our lives. These are the fruit of the Spirit. And so here's why this matters. Listen, if you and I have placed our faith in Jesus, if you're sitting in this room this morning, you say, I trust in Jesus for my salvation. I believe He is the only God. He is the way of salvation. He bore my sin on the cross. He rose again so that I can have new life. If your faith is in Jesus, it means that the Spirit of God has made His home, His residence within you, in your heart. And yes, we will struggle with sin. Yes, we will still fail. But, but, His grace and His power and His presence are in us. And so it will in due time show itself in what we say and what we do, and what we say and what we do will assure us of our salvation. That's why Jesus says, I'll read it again, verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. You know, biblically speaking, the heart is really the, the center, the seat of being. It's the place of emotion and and, and conviction and moral compass. It's the place of belief and, and faith and, and vision. Um, I've heard it said that your heart is you, the real you, as you really are. It's the, the real you that only God can see and know intimately, even if you don't want him to. And it's the part of you that many don't see or know until we do or say something that reveals those inner workings. Am I right? I'll never forget a conversation I had as a junior in college. Um, I, I had really started following Jesus. Uh, I was a part of a campus ministry. Um, you know, I, I was serving and I was, you know, making friends who had kind of the same worldview that I did. And I was surrounded by people who, for the first time in my life, I had peers around me who, who genuinely loved Jesus. And um, it was life-changing for me. And at first, I was so eager to get involved in everything. I remember I would show up to, to the Bible studies. I would show up to, um, you know, the prayer night. I would, I would go to, to the church and not miss a Sunday morning, sitting with all my college friends, um, you know, there in like the first and second row. And, and, and life was good. But over time, I don't know if anybody can relate, those things tapered. 
the, the eagerness I had to change my behavior because I was in a group of people that that would be conducive for started to fade, and naturally my discipline and, and my desires started to fade as well. And there was a guy in my life, his name was Kevin. Love you, Kevin, if you ever watch this. Um, Kevin was a year older than me. He was a guy I really looked up to. Uh, he, was, he, he was one of the leaders in, in our campus ministry, and he was hanging out with me one time, and I was kind of just bemoaning to him all the things that I wanted to do but just couldn't get around to, to doing it. Man, I, I want to show up to that Bible study in the morning, but it's hard to get up that early. And I want to make it to church every Sunday, but I keep staying up so late on Saturday nights. And, you know, I, I want to give up some of the time I'm given to play Call of Duty, even though my kill-death ratio would suffer. <laughs> if you know, you know. And, um, you know, I... T- I was, I was like, I want to show up to the worship night. I know I need prayer, I, you know, and um, I'm saying all these things, and, and Kevin stopped me dead in my tracks because I'm sitting here saying, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. And he finally said, Glenn, no, you don't. No, you don't. And I, you know, felt offended. I'm bearing my heart to you right now that I really want to do it. You know what, you know what he told me? He said, you are always where you want to be. You are always doing what you want to do. Now, I get there's circumstances in life that, you know, keep, but that's not the conversation I was having with him, right? He was just saying, hey, God's given you a free will. And what you're choosing to not do is revealing a lot of things about this. And Kevin was really teaching me a, a, a simple principle. And it was the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. Um, Each one of us is a proverbial spiritual tree, and we have heart roots, and the fruit that we produce, it will not be good if it comes from a bad heart. You don't have to have an advanced horticulture degree to know that you're not going to put an apple tree in your backyard and enjoy oranges. Um, Jesus is speaking so simply to us to say the fruit we produce, the things we say, the things we prioritize, the choices and decisions that we make, the way we respond to things, especially to trial and suffering, it is showing the true condition of our roots, of the heart within. And so church, this is, this is why we can't keep saying things like, man, I'm better than that. You know, after something happens, when maybe we say something selfish or foolish, we make a decision we regret, that was really out of character for me. The argument that Jesus would make to that is we have to admit that those moments and those circumstances expose something within us that is actually still in old chains. There's a part of us that's still glued and stuck in our old nature. It's still polluted by sin. It's still toxic. We don't want to face it, but oftentimes when we say something out of anger or we make an impulsive decision or we do something we regret, instead of saying, ah, that's not me. Oh, that's not in my... Say, that, that actually is my character. God, help me change. Holy Spirit, give me the strength that I need. I need a touch from you and your power. We have to take responsibility 
and accountability for the fruit that we bear because it only has one source and it's the one place that God wants to reign supreme and have his way and grow his presence and his love. What Jesus is bringing to our attention is that what we say and what we do is because we are who we are. Therefore, what we do and say is always in character. And so this is why Jesus doesn't hesitate multiple times in all of his teaching to press on obedience. He's always pressing on do what I say, listen to my commandments, obey, live, take up your cross, follow me. His biggest concern and test is will we live the way he teaches us to live? Will we obey him? Will the proof of our faith be our practice of it? What will our words and deeds say about our heart? And if you're wondering, is this true? Is that really what Jesus is after? Look at the next verse. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Which was a word of of, of respect to a person with a teaching authority. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Put yourself in this moment, church. Jesus, Sermon on the Plain, he's already been going to different places, teaching different people, bringing all these new truths to bear. First of all, he has the courage to suggest that his words should be obeyed. That's a small hint that he thinks something about himself that he's God. The second thing that astounds me about this is that Jesus, you have to read into this a little bit, surely he has been saying things to a lot of different people and a lot of different crowds and seeing a vast minority of people actually go beyond gathering, hearing and chewing and meditating and saying that was convicting, to actually walking it out. He, he's not, I'm just guessing here, okay? So this is not authoritative biblical teaching. But I'm guessing that our Lord is seeing a lot of people not obey after they hear. And it brings him to the point where he says, enough. You, you keep calling me Lord, but you don't do and, and live the things that I tell you to do and live. And so to help his disciples not just talk the talk, But to learn to walk the walk, he tells them one more little parable. And it starts in verse 47. Here's what Jesus says. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. In other words, I'm going to give you motivation and understanding as to why. You should listen and obey. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Let me, let me draw you in, please. Let me draw you into the words in this. I want you to just pay attention to the words in this verse. Think about this. Building a house. How much work does that take? If you were by yourself, given the tools, digging deep, 
digging deep down to a layer that's solid. Laying a foundation, not an easy thing to do. To be able to say your house is built well, Jesus is using this as an analogy to say you have a life that is built well. And let's all be honest. Sounds like hard work, sounds costly, sounds like it's going to take discipline, right? That's because it does. Let me just appeal to you, church. It takes commitment and it takes devotion to work at understanding your Bible and to live a life of consistent prayer. It takes work and it takes devotion to identify and finally give up sinful habits in your life. It takes work and it takes grit and it takes a grind and it takes perseverance to forgive someone and to serve others and to grow in new areas of obedience and faithfulness. It takes discipline to stay committed to God's people, the church, because while you may not think this is fancy, he loves her and you belong to her. And it takes work to keep showing up and to keep giving yourself and to keep praying and to keep opening your home and to keep offering help, to keep making life easier for others, to keep working through conflict. It takes hard work to let God rewrite your identity from the ground up, to let him tell you who you are and to fly your banner proudly in the workplace and in your neighborhood. It takes work and it takes commitment. City Light. The heart of God is for us to build this foundation of obedience and trust every day so that our life becomes strong and resilient and ready to withstand the storms that if they're not here today, will be here tomorrow. Life is full of trial. Life is hard under the cloud of sin and mortality. We groan deeply for the heaven that is to come. And while we love the taste that we get of it right here and right now, we know that what's to come, no eye can see, no mind can perceive, no heart can know what God has in store for us. I want to appeal to this on a personal level. And I just want to keep it really simple, okay? I promise you have my word. I will not make every sermon I give from now on about cancer, okay? <laughs> you have my word, all right? But I was thinking about this and, and praying about this. And if, if you're new to our church or whatever, I, I had cancer a few years ago, went into remission. It's back. Kate and I are working through uh, consultations and figuring out what the next steps are going to be. Um, I'm, I'm so thankful that I feel good and uh, I feel like I'm in good hands. Um, whatever the hands of people are, I'm in the hands of the great physician, and I have no fear. And so um, here's the thing, though. When I reflect on why right now I am not broken in sorrow and just wondering why my body cheated me again and why God's allowing this to happen and, and the days I'm tempted to be really frustrated about all the different opinions out there on the route of treatment and you know, whatever it might be, the cost of different things, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I wrote in my, on my paper here as I, was, as I was reflecting on this, I am so glad that I learned to trust Jesus. At some point in my life, I did not trust him. At some point in my life, I didn't know him. 
And I'm so glad, I hear the song, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that I learned to trust him. Um, I'm so glad that his word is deposited in me. I'm, I'm glad that I have read and meditated on and learned so much from this that even when I don't have it open, there are just things that well up in me that is the Spirit of God as an ever-present help in time of need, reminding me of all truth and pointing me back to who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. I'm so glad that I know who I am and I know what I have in Christ. I'm glad to know his promises. I'm glad I know who he is and I don't question his character. I'm not perfect, okay? Like, if you're like, dude, this guy is handling suffering, like, really well. Ask Kate, okay? Like, it's not perfect, all right? But I can't help but read this and think that Jesus is extending his hand to us. And he's saying, you can look at it one way, which is, gosh, you're giving me all these things I need to do. And I don't really want to do any of them. And you're, you're just giving me a new law to follow. And Jesus is looking at you and he's saying, Obedience to me will bring you so much blessing, and you will fall apart without it. Do you understand what I'm saying? God wants our life to be like a rock. Like a rock. Oh, like a rock. Y'all know them Chevy commercials. I took you there. The last verse of our text this morning shows us what happens when we don't. And I'm going to let it speak for itself. Here it is, verse 49. The one who hears, and I just want to pause right there. If you've ever gone to church, if you've ever heard Bible verses said to you, if you've ever been exposed to anything about Jesus, about God, you've heard. You've heard. None of us have any excuse. We have all been exposed to the good news of Jesus that we are born in sin and that we need a savior to defeat the enemies we can't defeat. Satan, sin, death. We need somebody to come and be our substitute, live a perfect life we could not live and then die a death that we deserve on a cross and shed his blood as a sacrifice for us in order that we might be forgiven and declared righteous by God in heaven. Okay, if you didn't hear it before, you just heard it now. That's the good news. You can be forgiven. You can be made right with God. You can be adopted into his family to know him as father, as Abba. To have that kind of closeness with him for all eternity, you can have eternal life. And the very same Jesus who saves us is the same Jesus who says, you call me Lord, but you don't obey the things that I do. And so may we, okay? This isn't just a sermon for you, it's for me too. May we Hear these words right now. The one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus' audience would have been so familiar with the the climate and the the temperature in ancient Israel. There would have been often mountainsides and, and random flash floods and they would hit the mountainside and immediately go down these dry riverbeds and, and into these villages. And if anybody had a normal cottage that they built, smashed instantly. Um, life and, and uh, livelihood ruined. And so he knows his audience and he knows 
what he's communicating, and he uses this to drive home the reality that storms and trials are our test, and someone's true colors come out when things don't go their way. If, if someone isn't built on obedience to God's word, if we aren't listening and obeying, it's just step by step, don't get overwhelmed. God is not demanding perfection from you in this life. He, he celebrates your progress. He wants you to grow in sanctification, to more and more bear the image of, of Jesus, of his son. So if you were to leave here today and you were to apply one thing that you've heard from God in the last year and say, you know what? That verse has been on my mind for the last year and I thought it'd be great to obey that and I never have. And you just took one step in that direction. A pleasing aroma is unleashed to heaven. And God sees you and is delighted in you. And imagine this. Imagine a church where one at a time, each of us in this room, is taking that kind of daily, weekly, monthly step. Who do we become in five years? What kind of church are we when we all take personal initiative to grow in our faith and it ends up benefiting one another? Come on. It's right there in front of us. And Jesus, what's so hopeful and beautiful about this text is that he's giving this as an offer to all of us. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Follow me, obey me, trust me. Your life will be so much stronger for it. Arthur John Gossip I heard that, Roy. He experienced the, the tragic and untimely death of his wife in the early 1900s. He was a pastor and a preacher. And upon returning to his congregation, very much still in grief, he said this his first time back at the pulpit. I don't think we need to be afraid of life. Our hearts are very frail, and there are places where the road is very steep and very lonely. Some of you can relate. But we have a wonderful God. And as Paul puts it, what can separate us from his love? Not death, he says immediately, pushing that aside at once as the most obvious of all impossibilities. No, not death. For I, standing here in the roaring of the Jordan, cold to the heart with its dreadful chill and very conscious of the terror of its rushing, I can call back to you who one day in your time will have to cross it. Be of good cheer, my friend. For I feel the bottom and it is sound. Oh, God, make us a people that whatever life brings, you find us faithful to you. You find us unshakable and immovable because the ground we stand on is so solid. I can tell you this much. By the authority of God's word and the instruction of Jesus Christ, Big words. The one thing 
we cannot do is leave church today without change. We cannot leave here today without something ceasing, something beginning, something growing, something dying, something must be cultivated. May the Spirit of God show us what this is in timely and personal ways. May we be fruit-bearing trees. May our lives be rock-solid. Would you pray with me? God, I know that there are people in this room who have yet to give away ownership of their life to you and to believe in your love for them, your care for them, your concern for them, your compassion for them, and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness you long to give them. I know there are people in this room who have not bowed their knee to you, they have not cried out in faith and said, Jesus, save me from hell. Save me. There are people in this room who would be tempted today to leave here and put a new law on their life and a new burden to carry, a new thing that needs to change. It is all of you. We're not meant to do this life by ourselves. We're meant to carry it out in your strength, in your power, with a new heart that you give us. And so my burden with this prayer right now is, God, would you... Please break through and speak to the person today who wants to live a different life but has not given you permission to give them a different heart. All it takes is repentance from sin, a 180 turn that says, God, I don't want to live my life apart from you. I don't want to live in rebellion against you. I don't want to rival you as Lord of my life. I give it to you. I trust that what you did on the cross was sufficient to forgive me of my sin. And I believe that you are alive. You rose from the grave. And you can make your home in me and change me. And God, I'm finally ready to say that I want that and I desire that. If that is your prayer this morning, I'm asking that you would have the courage to come up after today and, and talk to a pastor, talk to someone on our prayer team. God, I'm praying right now that anyone in this room who has a new heart, but things have been coming up lately that are exposing some things in us that we don't want to admit are still there from who we once were. God, would you be so kind, tender, caring, to put your giant, all-powerful finger on that issue and resolve it once and for all so that you might get the power, the glory, the worship, the praise. Jesus, we love you. We do not want to be a church that cries, Lord, 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 but you do not find us living as a light in this city. You don't find us leaving this place with increasing degrees of application in our life, how our marriages, our homes, our children, our workplaces would be blessed, how our soul would find restoration if we listen and obey. 
God, we trust you. We declare that now. We trust you. You are worthy of our obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.